Well, family of God, what I felt to share with you is a message I've titled Jesus, our Savior and King. And there is no doubt, and I'm sure there's no doubt in the hearts and minds of anyone here today or under the sound of my voice, that there is only one Savior. There is no other Savior that qualifies, there's no other Savior that is able to save people to eternal life other than Jesus Christ, our Lord. A couple of scriptures have been said or, or, or placed in the word that express this to us in an undeniable way. Acts 4 verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then John 14 verse 6, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now these two scriptures are statements of fact. They don't come in any other way but stating the truth for what it is. There's no arguing with it. There's no trying to see if it's saying anything other than what it blatantly says, that Jesus is the only way. But not only is Jesus our savior, he didn't come just to save us and now we go about our lives in any which way we please, rejoicing that we are saved. I question your salvation if that is the attitude of the heart. But no, he came to save us, but also so that we would submit to him as our king. He's not just our savior, he's our king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he expects us to honor him as a king. Even though we are children, we are children who serve. Children who serve a king. Amen. Now, I'd like to refer to a story of where David was made king over Israel. David had been running from Saul, but at one point he was made king over Judah by his tribe, um, he, he was from the tribe of Judah and he was made king in Hebron over Judah, over one tribe in Israel. And he ruled and reigned as a king over one tribe for seven years. Then Paul passed away in battle and the rest of Israel came with an understanding to make him king over the whole of Israel. So all 12 tribes came, but it was said of the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, that they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now, I don't know about you, but most times when I've heard that scripture, it's been used in a message of, we must have understanding of the times we're living in. We must know what the days are and what's going on in the world. We must not put our heads in the soil like an ostrich. We must have understanding of the times. And that is right. But most of the time I've ever heard reference to this scripture, it's with regards to that. However, it goes on to say that they knew what Israel ought to do. Now, what was it that Israel ought to do? Well, to take David, who was king over one tribe of Israel, and make him king over all 12 tribes of Israel and all the territory of Israel. And I wanna put it to you today that the wisdom put forth in this scripture for us is that Jesus wouldn't just be our savior and Lord over one portion of our life, but the time is that he would be enthroned as king over the entirety of our life. Amen. Amen. Over every geographical area of your life. 
Now, what do I mean by that? There might be a geographical area that is yet unsubmitted to his lordship, such as your finances, or maybe your family. Or there might be unforgiveness towards a certain person, perhaps even a church that you left in the past. And you're serving the Lord, but there are these territories, or there is a territory that is not yet submitted to his kingship. And I wanna call you today to submit the entirety of your life to him. It's as simple as praying a prayer. Lord, I acknowledge you as my savior, thank you. But I now take a stand to declare that you be king over the entirety of my life. I welcome you to rule and reign over all that I am. Amen, amen. So that is my introduction. It brings me to my first point. Initially, when I was preparing this message, I didn't have this point. This point only came after I got my second and third point. And I realized why. The Lord wants each and every one of his children to be able to receive his word and to be encouraged. And sometimes there's a hard word that comes, but that hard word must also just be understood where you are at in your maturity level with the Lord. And so where I'm gonna be speaking now in my first point, your place in his family, and you're welcome to turn to 1 John 2, as I carry on speaking, we'll get to a portion of scripture there now. But we, each of us, are in a certain stage of maturity before the Lord. He is king over our life no matter how mature we are, whether we've just come to the kingdom or whether we've been to, with the Lord for years. But the way that he relates to us as king is also going to be according to where we are at in his house. Are we children in his house? Are we young men and women in his house? Or are we elders, fathers and mothers in his house? Now that is not necessarily related to age. It can be. But we can have someone who's 50 who's just given their life to the Lord. They are gonna be a child in God's house because they've just been born again. They're babies, spiritually speaking. And so there is not necessarily a correlation or a link between age and spiritual age. There can be. But everyone sitting here has gifts and callings, but everyone sitting here is at a certain stage of maturity before the Lord. And every word we receive from the Lord, from this stage or anywhere else, is gonna have a different impact for us, depending on where we, are, where we are at in our walk with the Lord. So let's read together the three distinctions put forth in the word concerning maturity in the family of God. 1 John 2, verse 12 to 14 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now before I go on, uh, it was Greg Haswell who said, if, if men have to get used to the idea of being the bride of Christ, women can get used to the idea of being sons of God, all right? So I mention that because where I mention children, young men and fathers, I'm referring to young men and women, and I'm referring to fathers and mothers, all right? It's for the whole family of God. But what do we have here? The children are born again, their sins are forgiven, and they know the Father, but it's a fresh love. 
It's a new love, all right? The young men and the young women are strong. The word of God abides in them and they have overcome the wicked one. And then the fathers know the Lord. You have known him who is from the beginning, but it's a mature love. It's a deep love. It's a love that has been developed literally over years. And so we have three distinct groups in the family of God where the children know the Lord as the Lamb of God, the young men know the Lord as the Lion of Judah, and the fathers and the mothers know the Lord as Lion and Lamb. And there we see the fullness of the maturity coming forth and how the body complements each other. Now, a mistake is expect, expecting a child to fight like a young man. That's putting an unnecessary burden on someone who hasn't matured to the level where they're ready for that fight. But another mistake is to not continue growing in the Lord, to staying a child. Sometimes we think we're just gonna grow in the Lord with time like we do in the natural. If you feed a natural child, sounds a bit impersonal, but it's a good example. If you give your children food, they are going to grow physically. Now, the principle is the same for being in the spirit and growing in the Lord's house, but we need to seek the Lord to grow. It actually requires us not being passive. If you're passive, you will not grow in the Lord. Even if you attend church regularly, but you don't engage with the word and you're not spending your own time with the Lord seeking him, you will not grow. You will be a body filling a chair in the house. And you can still be saved, but how much God can use you comes into question because you're not being trained and, and, and growing in him and being equipped. And he's got so much for us. Now along those lines, I wanna read to you out of Hebrews 5, verse 12 to 14, where the writer of Hebrews speaks about staying in a place of infancy. For, by the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the scriptures. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so we see in these scriptures here that Paul is, or not Paul, I, I always think it's Paul, my bad, all right? But the writer of Hebrews, which is never uh, specified, he is essentially saying to the recipients of the letter, you should be further than where you are because you have already been taught. Now I'm teaching you again. You need to get skilled in the word, the word of righteousness, the oracles of God, speaks about the scriptures. Practice your senses exercising them to discern both good and evil. That comes through obedience, through not only having the word, but walking in the word and acting on the word. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, walk in the word and be obedient, then you grow. And so there's personal responsibility each and every one of us needs to take for our growth in God. It doesn't just happen. And when you are even a child in the Lord, there still must be personal responsibility to take of what the Lord gives us and to work with it, to eat it and to grow thereby. We mustn't feel rushed in the process of maturity though. Don't look ahead and think, I wanna be further, I wanna be further. God's got his process. At certain times, his process will not be rushed. He's got his time. 
Abraham couldn't rush giving birth to Isaac. Isaac came in his, in, in his time. Joseph was in prison for a set amount of time. He couldn't rush that time. They might have wanted to, but the purposes of God were being fulfilled. Maturity was taking place, and a fullness came when the eventual breakthrough came. So don't put pressure on yourself or feel guilty, I should be further. Do everything you can with what you've got, enjoying the Lord along the way, which very much brings me to my first point concerning the children, because I just wanna touch on the three stages briefly. Now, children of God, what are our expectations of children of God in the natural? Because it reflects what our expectation should be of spiritual children, regardless of their age in the family of God. Well, we expect them to listen to the instruction of parents, to those who've been in the faith longer. We expect them to engage with age-relevant chores, not too much too soon, because we don't want children in the Lord to get into a works mindset and fall into a religion or serving the Lord based on what they feel they have to do rather than being loved and out of the love of God they are now walking in obedience. And that brings me to the other expectation that children have of us without even knowing it, but what we should give them is unconditional love. We love children because they exist, because they are precious, because they have intrinsic value in and of themselves regardless of what they do. They are accepted because they are children. It is the exact same thing with us and God. He loves us unconditionally for who we are. And we must drink deeply of that as children of God. But then there is also an expectation that we would begin to get into his word and walk in obedience and begin to grow out of that child phase into the young men, young woman phase. But the importance of unconditional love creates security for healing and restoration and security in God. And a baby born in the natural might not understand intellectually their need for love, but without love, they are crippled already. It's the same for us in the spirit. We drink deeply of the Father's love, given in an unconditional way, which provides the, the foundation of healing to come forth and stability and security. And then we start moving into practicing the things of God and we're not gonna fall into a religion of works because we are grounded in God's love, in the Father's love. Now in the book of Deuteronomy, we have a beautiful scripture given to young men who just got married. They were given permission not to go to war for a year, that they could enjoy their marriage. And this is a beautiful picture to us even of the space God gives us when we give our lives to him or even just for children in the Lord in general, space to enjoy his unconditional love without heavy yokes and burdens and pressures being put upon those children. So Deuteronomy 24 verse five says, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Now if the Lord had such grace for a married couple, how much more for children born into his kingdom to have the space to enjoy him and then they can begin to deal with certain things that they might have sown into in the previous life. You know that I've seen very many times those young in the Lord have a few months at least where they're just free of burdens, they're free of concerns. The Lord is everything. They have this bubble almost around them of just enjoying the Lord. And then after that, they do begin to deal with things because we can't reap and not sow, but then God's love is there as the basis by which they can begin to deal 
with the former life while they grow into the new life God has given them. So a child in God's house can enjoy his unconditional love. That's their strength, but the weakness is either to be overburdened too quickly, too soon with too many things, or to not grow at all, to stay in that child phase. Now briefly, just concerning young men and young women in the house, what does it say of them? They are strong, the word abides in them richly, and they've overcome the, the wicked one. Now how does the word come to abide in them richly? The only way is to do what the writer of Hebrews was saying, get into the word and walk in obedience. As that happens, growth takes place. So the young men have the word of God abiding in them richly, they've overcome the evil one and they're strong, but young men themselves add an incredible strength to the church. They're yet to grow in a deeper wisdom, but young men and young women have a call upon the Lord to take territory for the Lord. That is certainly one of the strengths of the young men and the young women. But I must also say that at times, one of the weaknesses is that they tend to sometimes be unsubmissive or to not listen to the wise, counsels of, wise counsel of eldership because they think they know better. They think, where's your passion, you old fuddy-duddies? Okay, now, they wouldn't use that word because they probably never even heard that word. But uh, the point is that they would tend to sometimes be frustrated with the pace of how things are going and what is happening. And they wanna see more happening and they wanna take more territory. But they do also forget at times that the elders in the church were also young once and blazed trails and took territory. And now out of the wisdom of lives lived, they now counsel the young men and the young women. And so a young man and a young woman has an incredible strength. They wanna take territory. They were gonna be bold for the Lord. They're gonna blaze trails. But the weakness can be unsubmissiveness towards wise counsel. And also, also, sometimes being easily wounded and offended when things go wrong or things don't go their way. Because they understand the word, but the word hasn't been made flesh in them to a great extent yet. They're still growing in that process. And so be aware of some of these blind spots. There is great strength to young men and, and young women, but there's also the blind spots of that strength needing to be submitted and being aware that sometimes you can be a little bit too sensitive to things that are said and done with the right heart as a means of discipline, but not meant to be anything that is crushing. All right, so briefly now, just the final group of the elders, the mothers and the fathers, they know the Lord, and yet there is such a wonderful combination of the practical wisdom of where they've walked and what they've accomplished and what God has taught them, as well as a deep understanding of God's love. And that is critical for this part of the family of God to have. That through the child phase, through the young men and women phase, up to the final phase of being an elder in his house, that the love of God has been nurtured and grown and never let go of. The Ephesian church, and I'm gonna read this to you quickly, is a description of a church that was doing all things right, a beautiful description of the young men in action even, and yet they had lost their, their first love. It says in Ephesians 2, verse two to five, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. 
And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. And so, so many things were done right, but the love was left behind. That first love, passion with God. And so, elders in the church, the fathers and the mothers, are to bring a discipleship, or to bring input, or to bring a safety and a counsel, but it is not just for the words and the instruction. It was, is with an experience of the Lord's love at the very, very same time, that it is the truth spoken in love, and that is the strength that they would bring to the body. But perhaps one of the weaknesses that could happen is for those who've walked so long with the Lord to be passive in the body of Christ and to not give of themselves to the other generations in terms of their instruction and their counsel, to quietly go into the sunset of retirement once they've reached a certain age and to be quiet concerning what they've learned and taught. And there's great wisdom and understanding in sharing out of the life that you have lived before the Lord. But another weakness might be that youngsters or those young and men in the Lord who are very zealous would be shut down overly harshly and that there would be almost like a be quiet, you must know your pace, place as, as an overreaction to what has been expressed to them. And so the encouragement to the mothers and fathers is not to judge something too quickly in the youngsters. We have a parable of the sower not going and sowing the seed into all the different places where they grew and didn't grow. But in uh, Matthew 13, a, sower that, a, a master who had good seed sown into his garden, into his field, and then an enemy came at night and sowed bad seed into the, seed, into the field. And this enemy was the enemy himself, Satan. And so the plants spring up and his servants go and look in the field and they see these good plants, bad plants, and they say, let's pull them out. To which the master responds, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. You must understand that wheat looks very much like tares, and tares looks very much like wheat when they're young. And that when youngsters act in a certain way, it doesn't mean they're a tear, it just means that they are immature wheat. Give them a chance to grow and the fruit will show them to be what they are. But only fathers and mothers will have the wisdom and the patience and the understanding to discern that. And so I leave that with you as my first point, which was my longest point. But just to say, Jesus is our king. He's king over every area of our life. But understand that a child will relate to Jesus as king differently to how the young men will relate to him, differently to how the elders will relate to him. And that we must also have grace in our hearts towards the members of God's family concerning where they are at in their walk with the Lord. You might be at a life group and you walk with the Lord for years and a new Christian comes, they've been a Christian for a few months and they're irritating you because of this demand to have their needs met all the time and it's stealing time from the group. And, and in that moment, you need to assess, well, where are they at in the Lord? What do they need from me? How can I help them on their journey? And so we see this complementary system, or not even a system, this complementary organic relationship building taking place 
where the family of God is knitted together, looking after each other across the different maturity levels. But with that being said, I wanna now speak into my second point, which is building his house first. Please, if you would, turn to the book of Haggai. It's this little picky of a book. It's stuffed away in between the minor prophets and the Old Testament. And I'm giving you a chance to uh, go and find it because uh, it's, it's a tiny little book. But while you're turning there, I just wanna read another portion of scripture to you out of Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25. Now this is an unmistakable statement of how we are expected to serve the Lord and follow him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So this scripture holds no punches. It really speaks about us losing our lives to find it. But it's not enough for us to just lay down our life. We've got to take up the call of God. There's a twofold process going on here. Lord, I lose my life to find it in you. I lose my life and I take up the cross that you are calling me to. Now the reason why I spent so long on my first point is someone who's a child in the Lord hearing that might very easily fall into works-based following of the Lord. Wow, I've gotta do this, I've gotta do that, I've gotta do this, I've gotta do that. And there is a call to obedience, but it is an obedience based on the experience of his unconditional love. And so here we have an incredible call from the Lord to say, I must be king over your whole life. I must rule and reign over all that you are. Give it all to me and follow me. And he is a good God and he is a loving God and he is kind and he is grace for you. And he will enable you to do what he has called you to do. There need be no fear here. This is a joyous surrender to his lordship. But now, back to the book of Haggai. Haggai gives a beautiful example of what it means to build God's house first or to live for him first. That is the picture we get here. So, the exiles had returned from Babylon. It was a remnant of people that had come back from Babylon. And they came to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the Lord's house. But let's read from Haggai 1, verse 2 to 7 together. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, Go to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. The people had arrived and immediately started building their houses. I'm sure with the intent, as soon as our houses are done, we're gonna build the Lord's house. And the Lord comes with a correction through his prophet. And he says, no, no, no. First build my house and then you build your house. 
And don't just build my house out of the rubble that's surrounding the, the, the broken down Jerusalem in terms of old bricks and old um, timber. He says, go up to the mountains and get wood. In other words, get fresh building materials and come and build my house. What a beautiful picture to us of God's call upon our life. That when he calls us, our first priority is to say, Lord, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I'll say what you want me to say. You're my king. You're not just my savior. I'm gonna follow you wherever you lead. Show me your house. Now, not only is that something we would pray, there's a sacrifice involved in building God's house. It's not just the convenience of what's just around us. It's about going and getting fresh materials. It's about sincere prayer. It's about reading and receiving his word. It's about true worship. It speaks about not just giving the Lord the last two minutes of your day. Oh, sorry, Lord, I didn't get you today. Thank you for your blessing, your protection. Go to sleep and the next day is the same. It speaks very much about a sacrifice of fresh materials, building your relationship with God and seeking his kingdom first. It's very much seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, which is Matthew 6, verse 33. Now, I wanna read to you now the New Testament version of Haggai, you will see the similarities as I read it to you. So please listen carefully. It is Luke 12, verse seven to 10, and says almost the exact same thing as what we've just read in Haggai. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, undeserving of praise or a reward, for we have not gone beyond our obligation. We have done what was our duty to do. And there we see the exact same situation of coming in from the field, almost like the people coming back from Babylon, and where they just wanna sit and say, oh, Lord, I'm ready for your ministry. Lay it on me. Lord, fill me. Sort me out. I need this now. Instead, the Lord says, no. Come and serve at my table first. Serve me, and then you will see to your needs. But let me tell you, when you seek the kingdom first, all these things will be added to you. The quickest way to see you sorted and healed and loved and encouraged is to seek to do his will first in your life because then it will be added to you and then there will be a fullness coming out of that. Now Paul referred to himself as I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. In Ephesians three verse one, and he did so in other scriptures as well. Ephesians four verse one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now that was a play on words. He wasn't just a prisoner in a prison there was a taking captive in his heart to do the will of God first. He was declaring, I'm taken captive to do God's will, but I happen to be in chains at the same time. And that is our call too, that uh, we would be taken captive to do his will. An American evangelist, John Ramirez says, I'm on death row and there is no parole. And so it is for us too. Now this brings me to my third and final point, which is, let us with boldness. Let us with boldness. And this is taken directly from a scripture, which is Hebrews 4.16. It says, 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now I left this scripture till last, and this is my final and short point. I left the scripture till last because it is built upon everything that has come before. First, we set up Jesus as king in our life. Secondly, we recognize our place in his family. Of what does he expect of me in terms of where I am at in my walk with him? And thirdly, we seek to do his will first as the first priority. Now, when we come with our requests, it's not just so that we can live a comfortable life. It is so that we can live the life God is calling us to live and to do the work he is calling us to do. So instead of us just assessing our life and saying, well, now I see that I need this and I see that I need that. Oh, Lord, I'm coming boldly to your throne of grace to ask for this and that because I see I need it. What is that based on? That's based on your assessment of your circumstances. And I'm not saying then that, that they're not real and that there's not real needs there. But the Lord might be directing you to something else first. What is the house he is building? What is the will he is calling you to first? He's got a plan for those things. But maybe he's calling you to something else first. 1 John 5 verse 14 to 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Why? Because we're asking according to his will. In closing, I want to give you an example. Imagine you're in a very difficult work situation. And it's so, such a situation that you're feeling pressure, you're feeling persecuted, you're feeling left behind, you're feeling sidelined. And so you assess the situation and you say, Lord, get me out of here. This cannot be your will, it's just too uncomfortable. And so you start proclaiming, Lord, with boldness I come before you. Deliver me, take me out of this place. But if you would just sit and pray and say, Lord, what is the house you are building? What are you calling me to do? He might say to you, you are the last call of salvation as my instrument in your workplace. You have colleagues who are lost. And if you leave, they will not hear the gospel. And one of them will pass away soon. And because you were not there, no one was there to shine the light of my presence in that place. So you tend to pray, Lord, release me from here. But maybe if you just wait, you would see that his heart is there, that you are paying a price. There's a sacrifice for a purpose. And the purpose is to his glory so that he can draw another lost soul into his kingdom. And you are the instrument he has chosen. But you're so focused on being comfortable that you lost God's first and primary calling on you to what he is calling you to. And so, family of God, that is what I lay before you today, that he is to be king over your entire life, not just part of your life. He is to be Lord over all that you are. Ask him for a deep understanding of where he has placed you in his family and his house. Seek to build his house first from now on, whether you're a child, whether you're a young man or woman, or whether you're an elder in his church. There is a path to continue growing. Engage with that path. Engage with his word. Be obedient to him. Walk in his ways. Love on him. And continue to receive the unconditional love of your father at all times that you might be equipped for every good work and then give him first place. Don't assume your circumstances are something to be released from immediately. You might be the salt and light in there that no one else will be, and that's God's call because you have chosen for him to be your king. Let's pray. Father, I bless you for this opportunity to share, and I thank you that even as I release this service, Lord, 
you would go with your people. And I pray that your call would be true and deep upon their hearts. I pray that they would understand what you are saying to them. And I pray, Lord, they would look at their lives and their circumstances with new eyes. And that with you as their king, building your house first, they will begin to grow in the most magnificent maturity, that they would be salt and light, worthy of your name, because you have anointed them to be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you and thank you.